Hey, welcome everybody. Let's talk real estate. Your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. As we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving this market today to find the best solutions going forward. With our man right in the middle, it's Barry Saywitz. Hey, Barry. Hey, good morning, Paul, and good morning to all of our viewers and our listeners out there. Welcome back again. If it's Tuesday, you know what? We're talking real estate. I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and managing partner of Barry Saywitz Properties. And if it's one thing I've learned in all the time I've been doing this, it's to make sure that you get informed, make good decisions, surround your people yourself with people who can help you and help you make those good decisions. And uh, that's what we try and do here on the show. Today, we've got sort of a unique format and a unique approach, which we haven't done in a while. So I'm, I've been looking forward to doing this. We're going to have a solo discussion with myself and Paul, and he's going to drill me on what's going on with the economy and how it relates to the real estate market. And we're going to sort of do A, an update uh, relative to what's transpired over the last six months and B, a look forward. Uh, as to what we think and hope uh, might happen over the next six months uh, and try and get some uh, some pulse on, on what's happening with the different sectors in the real estate market and the overall economy. So with all of that said, we have no guests to introduce, but I'm going to bring Paul back in and we're going to get right to it. Uh, and uh, we'll talk some real estate. I'm always looking forward to these because I get to ask the questions that I listen to as a fly in the wall here week after week. And I hear you guys keep saying, well, maybe things will get better. Maybe things are going to change. Today's the day we're going to put your feet to the fire. What's really changed here? What's getting better? What's not getting better out there? Let's talk about interest rates. We're in 2023. This was supposed to be over by now, isn't it? Yeah, well, I don't know about over, but uh, if we rewind to when we first started doing the show 15, 18 months ago, what's funny is, it's not funny, but all of the guests that came on <laughs> said, I said, hey, what does the future look like? And they said, it's all rosy. It's all good. Everything's good. Yeah. And at that time, we had low interest rates. Inflation wasn't even really a concept that w applied to the economy at the time. And uh, our biggest issues at the time were still COVID and supply chain and, and, and those kinds of things. And now you fast forward to where we are today and you look back at the last six months and go, gee, if I didn't lock my loan that I had for my house or my building or, or whatever my investment is, I've missed the boat. Secondly, if I was a seller and I wanted to sell and I had a call with a client of ours yesterday and he said, gee, I, I should have sold. <laughs> so uh, I've missed sort of the top of the market, if you will. And then now the question is, what, what do I do? Right. So the Fed has continued to have uh, uh, aggressive hikes in the interest rates. I think everybody's aware of that. And there's still talk of more of that. And while it's a slower uh, increase in rates, uh, there is no sign that rates will go down in the near future. And when I say the near future, probably the next six months. So I think people have to settle in and acknowledge where the markets are today relative to interest rates and lending, and then try and apply that to the transactions that they're either doing or taking a look at. And what that has done, I think the byproduct is, it's really just slowed down the transaction volume, which is slowing down the markets. It seems like everything's kind of ground to a halt again here because of not just the increase in interest rates, but sort of an uncertainty. Uh, is that factor into it? Is there an emotion, mm, I'll just wait? Yeah, I mean, and we talk about it in, in our shop all the time. I like it from a transaction volume standpoint when the market is on the rise. And the reason being is that if someone out there was looking at buying or selling, whichever it was, 
and you felt like tomorrow's deal was either more expensive as a buyer or something might change, then you would hurry up and make a deal. If you felt that tomorrow's deal might be better as a buyer and that prices would come down, then you wait and you see what happens. The worst case scenario for the market in terms of transaction volume is nothing. And because if nothing happens and there is this uncertainty and I'm not sure if it's going up or down, what do I do? I wait and I see. And what that does from a brokerage standpoint, if you talk to residential or commercial brokers out there, which we've done uh, both on and off the air, they would all tell you volume is slow and it is difficult to make a deal and you have people retrading deals, you have people rethinking deals. They don't know what their loan looks like. They don't know what the market holds. And so people that are looking at long-term holds are thinking maybe I'll get a better deal if I just sit tight. People that were looking at buying, fixing up and flipping, that, that market has almost completely dried up. You said it the other day in one of your guests that even if the market is falling, that creates volume because then people say, I gotta get out because it's gonna get worse or there's an opportunity, so I better get in. Uh, but it's this uncertainty of where it's going that freezes all the transactions. Yeah, and unlike the Great Recession where you, you really didn't have a lot of money out in the marketplace, there is still a lot of capital out there. There are still people with money. There are still investment groups looking to buy product. And I think there's still home buyers on the residential side that are saying, I would like a bigger house. I would like a nicer, newer house or whatever that different house is. The dilemma is on the residential side, what will I do with my house? If I could sell high and if I had to buy high, at least I was no worse off. If I'm now not selling high and then I have to still go deal with somebody else who's trying to sell high, then I, I've, I, I haven't made a good deal. And so I wait and I wait for somebody who is desperate or will make a deal. On the commercial side, the dilemma is you have a disconnect between buyer and seller, you have a disconnect between sellers yesterday's price and sellers real time price. So you have the seller who's trying to hold on to what the number was that he had in his head or someone told him he thought his property Not that was long worth. ago. No, and it could be a month ago, it could be two months ago, right? right? But every time the Fed raises rates, every time the market continues to slow down, your property theoretically gets devalued. And if it doesn't get devalued, at least the value of the property itself went down from where you thought it was, and now you have to readjust. And now it's called chasing the market, right? Now the market's not falling, the market's just stagnated, but you're not gonna see what you thought yesterday's number was, and you need to come to grips with that. And so some people say, well, if I can't get my number, I'm not gonna sell. So what do they do? Sit, Yeah. which then slows the market. So the two trends we talked about before, or, or the, I've heard people talk about before. I haven't seen either one of them really materialized. There was an assumption that California was going to shed jobs, shed people. As people took the money, they were going to run elsewhere. Um, apartments, you're not going to buy the next building here anymore. It's too hard. I'm going to Tennessee. I'm going to Florida, whatever. And we've heard, seen some of that. But it hasn't been the mass exodus. I haven't seen the 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 mass outflow there's been some but i haven't seen the mass outflow or, or am i just not looking in the right place here well no i think what you've seen is again a continuation of this i'm going to wait and see what happens there are many things going on in california and many things going on with the economy as a whole that that don't really bode well for the fact in the short term that i can see light at the end of the tunnel now i would tell you long-term investment in southern california 
if you're going to hold it for a longer period of time, we've talked about it before on the show, mm -hmm. it's just a good thing. The question is, I just don't want to make a bad deal and I don't want to overpay or I don't want to lock in at a high interest rate if I think it might be better. And, and so um, you have these people waiting to see. Now, what we've already seen, whether it was through COVID or whether it was over the last six or 12 months on the residential side, is you have a lot of people from Los Angeles, moving to Arizona, moving to Las Vegas, moving further east to the desert or the Inland Empire, other mm -hmm. parts, because it's it's just not a conducive environment, whether it's health-wise or whether it's cost-wise or with regulations. And so what, that, what has happened is you see the residential market in Phoenix, in Las Vegas, in Palm Springs run up. You have rents at all-time high. You have uh, prices for homes at so all-time high. there's been some movement out there. Because people who move from an expensive area like Los Angeles, if you go to Phoenix, you know, buying a house in Phoenix for $300,000 cheap. Yeah. Right? right? You can't get the garage in Los Angeles for that. And right. so people go and they do it and then they run up the other person's market. And, and then now the question is, gee, is, am I overpaying out there? And, and what happens? And so it is a domino effect. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. The people that are out there that have to make deals for whatever reason, if there is a motivating factor, you own a commercial property and someone passed away in the family and you need the money or you just want to sell it, a, an event will happen, which will cause a transaction, right? I've had another child and I can't live in my house. It's too right. small. I have to buy divorce, a bigger place, right? Divorce, it. whatever. So those things will still happen, but the, the fix and flip, the uh, I just want a bigger place, the I, I'm going to move because somebody offered me a stupid number those are gone for, yeah. at least for now right i mean so so get that out of your head and then get back to some kind of real kind of transactions so when do you think things settle back to some kind of normal here is it the rest of the year is it un or is it impossible to say well but uh, normal by whose definition yeah right, right. So, so it is not normal to sell your house in two days with 10 offers at more than what you're asking that's not normal right if you thought that that was normal you're wrong. Right? Right. You were living in fantasy land up in Anaheim, right? Uh, that that was not normal. What's normal is it takes 60 to 90 days to sell your house. What's normal is if you ask a dollar, someone might offer you 90 cents and you might settle in the middle at 95 cents. Right. Right. People don't you don't sell your house for 50 cents when you offered a dollar. You also don't sell it for a dollar 20 when you offered a dollar. They were for a while. Uh, exactly. But those are not normal. It's also not normal for a two or 3% interest rate. If you look back historically, no. So you've been living in times and then people have short term memory and they get used to something that is not normal Four, five, six percent 5, 6% interest rate, fairly normal and reasonable, just stinks relative to two or three. So let's talk about two other normals that have been upended here. One is the office market and COVID sent everybody home and a lot of businesses found that works. Yeah, yeah, and, and the office market certainly has been the struggling sector throughout COVID for the obvious reasons. Uh, the difference is no new office products really getting built. Some of the older office product is getting redeveloped to other higher and better uses, whether that's industrial, whether that's mixed-use retail. Someone here in South Orange County, a building that wasn't that old down by Costco, and they tore it down and right. built apartments. Right. So you have a, a an absorption, I'm going to call it, of office space purely by the fact that some of it's taken off the market. You also have no new construction. And so eventually the office market will recover as people come back to work and companies start to grow again. However, what you do have and what we've seen in the market is people are rethinking the kind of space they need 
and the size of the space that right. they need. So a lot of the activity out in the market is I'm in 5,000 feet. I only need 3,000 square feet. I have a mostly open plan. Maybe I want more private offices now or vice versa. So that's the movement that's around. Or I have old junky space and I'm, I'm, I don't want to pay the same price as some newer space. So I'll go get some new space. What you don't have is a lot of companies. There are some, but you don't have a lot of companies going, hey, I need more space. I need to double my space. I got a new contract. Hey, in six months, I'm going to need to hire a bunch of people. So I'm going to go out and get more office space now in advance. People are going, whoa, wait a minute. I want to try and make good use of my space. Hey, Mr. Landlord, maybe I can give back some of the space I don't need. How can I reconfigure it? And that is not helping with the absorption. But it is on a, I'm going to call it just a slow boat back to recovery. And then you know, if you look historically at the office market, it normally sits and then it comes back slowly and then all of a sudden it'll shoot up because as soon as the vacancy gets below 10%, then you have limited options and landlords start raising the rents up again. We're not there, but that's what we'll have. Will we build more high rises in Orange County in the foreseeable future? Or is that on hold for a while? I don't see it. Uh, there's no demand for it. It doesn't pencil with interest rates and construction costs where they are. If you're a developer, you have a double negative going on where the cost of the money becomes more expensive, the cost of the supplies become more expensive, and then now you have a labor issue, you have a supply chain issue, and, and, so, and, and the demand just isn't there. Now, the flip side of it is if somebody did go to build something new, it might not be available for 12 or 18 or 24 months. So you're now you're trying to pick what happens in the future. Exactly. But the lenders, the investors in today's environment aren't thinking 24 months in advance. They're looking at it today going, hey, it's not the right time. So where are lenders today's, where, where are lenders in today's environment? Are they cautious? Are they optimistic? Are they openly lending? Are they getting more restrictive? What, what, what trend are they following? So I'll tell you what I've been hearing in, in the banks that uh, I've talked to, whether it's my own uh, financial institutions or whether it's others, is certainly they've tightened the belt. They are more cautious about the underwriting of the deals that they're making. They don't want to get burned. They don't want to make stupid deals. They have money and they need to lend it. So if you need money for a project, the trick would be to go out there and talk to different folks. The difficulty is it is more stringent. So I'll give you less money, less loan to value, which means you have to come up with more money, which means the barrier to entry is more difficult. I have to come up with a bigger down payment. And if the interest rates rise, then my mortgage theoretically is going to go up, which means my profit could get squeezed or I need to just make a better deal on the property. And so the lenders have money. The lenders are cautious. The lenders underwriting is more restrictive. So it makes it more difficult to make deals out there, I think, for the banks. And then combine that with the fact that they're all about deposits. So it's interesting that you know, no one really cared for the last couple of years to call and knock on doors and say, hey, can you move some money over? Can we get more money in the bank? Uh, the banks that were smart did that. Uh, but now a lot more banks are, are trying to tie the lending in with deposits and get the relationship where it wasn't that big of a deal before. We just want to make the loans and get the money out right. there. Now it's, oh, my gosh, I need to get my deposits up. And so you have that dynamic going on. And that and doesn't seem like that was a priority over the last couple of years. It, was it, like it wasn't before it was making the loans, but now if I'm not making the loans, how do I generate the money? And I need to shore up my own balance sheet. All right, so banks are uh, trying to avoid the mistakes they once made where they lent to anybody with a pulse and it was. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think if you're a borrower and you're a first-time borrower, it's going to be more difficult. Um, if you're a borrower without a lot of assets, it's going to be more difficult. I think if you were trying to do a loan without a personal guarantee, it becomes more difficult. Uh, but if you're a well-heeled and, and you're a seasoned investor and you've done this before, the, the, my suggestion would be you go back to the banks that you've done business before that you have a relationship with that know you, that trust you, it's going to be a much easier road than just trying to shop for the best rate. Because in today's market, the rates are all pretty consistent. I mean, they're not going to sway big one to the other. Right. Now the issue is, can I get the deal done if I'm the borrower? Not, I'm going to go shop for a quarter of a point or an eighth of a point off the rate. It's not going to make or break your deal. But you, if, the, if the bank would loan you 65% instead of 55%, that's a big deal. You talk about that a lot, and I never hear anybody else talk about that, the certainty of close. Whether you're a seller dealing with a buyer, is he really going to buy it? Whether you're a bank, is he really going to go through with it? Uh, whether you're a seller is he really, or a buyer, is he really going to sell it to me here? Or is he going to want to renegotiate? Talk about that. Does that change? Does that oh, yeah. is, is, yeah, is I mean, certainty look, to close a bigger issue than it was a couple of years ago? Well, again, it goes back to uh, for our viewers and our listeners out there. Look, in a normal market, you you go to whether it's your house or your building or you're buying or you're selling. If if you have a crazy market where I have multiple offers and I have backup offers, then as the broker, you use that as a lever to get the guy who's gonna buy the property to do things that he would normally never do. Quicker close, quicker due diligence, more money up front. take the property as is. Oh, you found something wrong, we're not gonna fix it, that's a your problem, and if you don't like it, I got a guy coming in 20 minutes and he's gonna buy the property, right? Or I got a backup guy and he offered more. And so what, what happens is you work the backup offers to put pressure on the guy that you want to close. And then even if he doesn't close, you really not hurt that much because you really do have a backup offer. Well, in today's world, there's no backup offers. Yeah. Right yeah. now it's people are trying to sell properties not on the market. They don't want to shop it because they don't want their tenants to find out they're thinking about selling. They don't want to look desperate. So they just hushly shop it around. And then you're talking about, okay, so I'm just talking to one person to see if he would do it. And I want to make sure that that person is the person that will close. So as the broker, if I put my broker hat on for a second, I want a guy who's going to close because yeah. I don't want to keep working on the deal and I don't want to keep shopping around. So if I'm going or to start go, over again, right. And point. so if I'm going to go look for that buyer, I want to make sure he's going to close. He's up front. He doesn't want to jerk me around and, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do as opposed to what I call shopping it, right? Which is, Hey, anybody can buy it. Give me your best offer. And then I just get greedy and go with the highest price. But then the guy comes back and haggles or retrades or does whatever he's doing. And, and that gets back to this disconnect. So if there is this retrading and there is this disconnect where the seller says, no, no I'm not dropping the price. That's the deal. And the buyer goes, okay, forget it. I was always intending on retrading or I found something else out I don't like and I would still buy the property, but I want a discount. And, and, and then you have a disconnect. So what do you do? You throw it back on the market and start over, right? Now the property looks tainted. Now the broker has to start all over exactly. and do more work. And now the seller's like, okay, fine, somebody, find me somebody else. When the second guy comes around, he might not even give you what the first guy gave you. And now you're like, geez, I should have made that deal, right? And so there's this dynamic that is going on that didn't go on when the market was hot, That is that would normally go on in a regular market anyway, because again, in a regular market, you don't have 10 offers to pick from, 
right? You have one or two, and then you try and make a deal with a guy who you think is the best And then the broker looks bad in the seller's eye, and maybe he drops you and goes to somebody else. You promised me this guy was real. He's not real. And So, again, uh, it's a broker term, but certainty of close means I get paid. For the for the seller, certainty of close means I sell my property and I do what I needed to do. From the buyer's standpoint, it, why waste your time on a deal that you think might not go? And, and you know, it, look, if you're buying it, then figure out how to buy it and have it make sense of it. If you're just slinging offers, that's what happens in a declining market. You have buyers out there that are bottom feeders that start slinging offers yeah, at right. below asking price. And then what happens is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So one guy is desperate. One guy says, fine, I'll take your low ball offer. And then that same guy who goes out to buy the next property or the next person who looks at it goes, well, hey, the market must be really soft. You had one guest in here who said they his practice is to do unsolicited offers. You see a rise or a change in that? Just people coming out of the blue and saying, hey, you're well, interested that, in selling this thing? That goes on all the time and has gone on for, for years. The difference is uh, how it makes sense. If Again, if you're somebody who really is thinking about selling or wants to sell and you can deal with a principal and it's all cash and it's simple, then that makes perfect sense. But again, it's about expectation because if the seller's expectation is, well, if this guy offered me a dollar, right, and he's willing to do it sight unseen and just wrote me a letter or called me out of the blue, maybe I should just go shop it around. Maybe I could get a dollar fifty. Right. Right. Except the guy says, look, you're not going to get a dollar fifty. My dollar was actually a pretty good deal. And when you call me back, I'm going to offer you 90 cents. You should take my dollar. Right. (laughs) And again, it's about expectations. Well, what's your expectation for we'll go around the horn real quickly here. We talked about offices going to be a slow go for that to come back for a while here uh, although you had Cushman and Wakefield on and of course they said oh it's all going to fill up someday here so I don't know if that's just hopeful thinking well I think you take the concept the, the comment in, in in context which is eventually it will fill up it, it, it stuff will get leased and because there's no new construction you will see a gradual tightening of the market but I don't think anybody's expectation is that the mar- office market as a whole is going to flip on uh, you know like a light switch uh, and then all of a sudden, everybody's going to come back to work, and everybody needs an office. And uh, in fact, your last guest uh, was predicting that uh, three or four or more uh, big high rises in LA are going to go back to the bank. That was pretty shocking. Yeah. So I, you know, look, the the office market will continue to struggle. If you're an office tenant out there, if you need office space, I would say now's a good time to make a deal. Retail uh, is that fully recovered from COVID, or is uh, Amazon still killing the retail market here? Well, I don't know that it, you have to break down retail into certain sectors. You have restaurant retail, you have specialty retail, you have inline retail, you have shopping center retail, right? These are different things that have different applications of the marketplace. And Amazon doesn't affect some of those. Uh, I would just say the, the mom and pop businesses that got shut down or went out of business as a result of COVID, whoever was going out of business from COVID has gone. And right. the people that made it stomached through it. And they're back. And I don't want to say they're killing it, but they're there. They need to make a living. They have a business and it's viable or they wouldn't be around. Restaurants are back in the sense that, again, anybody who couldn't make it work is gone. And there are a lot of empty restaurant spaces that are getting either retooled or redeveloped. And you have high-end restaurants that couldn't make it because of the cost of what they were doing. You have low-end restaurants that couldn't make it because their margins were too small. Their problem is still finding good help. What you see, or at least what I see every time I go out, is 
the cost of doing business for a restaurant or or that type of business whether it's a Starbucks or a donut shop or uh, Ruth's Chris is they increase their prices. If I have to pay my workers more money, guess who's paying at the end of the day? It's the consumer. You see it in the cost of drinks and food and everything. Yeah, look, here. Uh, the donut shop by my house is you know two dollars and fifty cents for a donut now, right? You get a bagel sandwich, it's ten dollars. You go to Starbucks and it's three bucks for a cup of coffee. And I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that when you take a cup of coffee and take it from two dollars to three dollars, that's a fifty percent increase. Yeah. That is not five or six or eight or ten percent. That's huge. If you go to a restaurant and you pay twenty dollars for a cheeseburger that used to cost twelve, that's a forty percent increase. So the landlord raises your rent. That is not what causes a 40% increase. This is a, a widespread global cost of goods, cost of labor, cost of doing business. All that stuff. So I, I would just say retail as a whole, look, there's not a lot of vacancy in the retail. Um, there are not tons and tons of people looking for retail space, but the couple of retail properties that we have, they're all full. Um, and the people that are there are paying their rent and doing okay. How about the high-end stuff? The malls are certainly being remade left and right here. Westminster, yeah, you so had Bill Shopoff in here. He just took over the Westminster Mall here. Yeah, so we should have him back, and he can talk about what they're going to do with it next. But that is a typical example of highest and best use, right? And and so there, an old-school uh, inline mall is not highest and best use. You have outdoor malls here in Southern California. You have regional centers throughout the state where people are still going to do their shopping. Uh, and then you still have specialty stuff where people will go to the dry cleaner or the donut shop and things like that. But the, the old version of the mall is sort of a dead animal and, and those will continue to get redeveloped. Even South Coast Plaza making changes and upgrades, even Fashion Island looking at doing something different. Even if it's not to just come up with a completely different program, it's the variety and something new to get people to still keep coming or wanna come. Well, it's clear we're in some sort of change and where the where we land with all this stuff is still to be seen. What does the future of malls look like? Are they gone? Are they downsized? What's the future of retail in a world of Amazon? What's the future of uh, industrial? Is it just gonna keep going and going and going? Does Amazon keep driving more and more uh, tilt-ups to pop up? Uh, where were they going to store stuff here? Well, I mean, let's talk about the industrial for a second because Amazon, to me, doesn't necessarily... Well, it hurts the retail because people don't go out and shop and you can just buy it online. Amazon's impact on the industrial market is far more uh, significant in the fact that they were renting up uh, tons and tons of available space, signing long-term leases with good credit, and then building all of these regional hubs, if you will, all over the place. Right. And in Southern California in particular, because of the demographics and the traffic, they had to have a, uh, a lot more of these locations. They needed two, the main hub that distributed and then that last mile. So hub and spoke, right. So yeah. you'd have a central large uh, warehouse and then you'd have some smaller ones spread around. But the fact of the matter is the industrial market still remains completely tight uh, and, and it is tight all over the country. It is the tightest in the country in California, whether it's Northern or Southern California with vacancies of one to 2%. And, and so if you're a tenant out there and you're looking to go rent industrial space, you have limited options still. If you're looking to buy a building, you have very limited options and it's very expensive. And in many instances, the rent for industrial, whether it's the rent or whether it's the cost to buy the industrial building, 
is more than an office building, if you can believe it. Isn't that, that crazy? Yeah. And, and so as an industrial tenant, you really have to make uh, smart moves in terms of um, the kind of space that you need. And, and, and if you have to have the space, then you'll just have to pay. That's just part of the new norm of doing business. So good to be an industrial landlord in today's market. Good to be an industrial landlord broker uh, in today's market. Uh, do we see that starting to slow down? Yeah, we do. Do we see the kind of rent growth that we've had for the last three or four or five years? No, because it, it can't sustain itself. Yeah, right. Right. I mean, at some point, but your last guest goes, said at some point they just that they say I can't pay this anymore. Right. And, and so I, you're starting to see that. But look, where you're now at is a number that is twice what it was before the runoff. So even if rents flatten, even if there is just moderate rent growth, even if the rent went down a little bit on the industrial, it's at such an inflated number that as a landlord, you're fine. You're just fine. And that's not going to change because there's no place to build. Right. So that's a supply and demand issue. Right. I don't see that changing in the near future. I guess we'll see what happens, but you can rewind to the recession where you couldn't give away industrial space in the Inland Empire if you tried. All right. Pull out your crystal ball. We'll end with some predictions. What's the end of the year look like here? More of the same, still turmoil, still chaos, or we're going to see some things start to settle in as Let's talk about um, any pick anyone pick, pick any of those. Are we going to see volumes come back up by the end of the year? Transaction volumes and uh, yeah. residential commercial. Yeah. So uh, I don't have a crystal ball, but I tell you, here's my, my take on things. I don't think you're going to see volume tick up between now and the end of the year. I think it's going to be slow and go because I don't think you're going to see massive swings in the policies of the government between now and the end of the year or the Fed. And people are just going to look to try and make deals. And, and so it, it's going to be slower. People on the buy side are going to be more careful. And people on the sell side uh, are going to still focus on yesterday's dollar and having a tough time making a deal. So I think volume will stay low. I think you'll see interest rates probably go up another one or two times. And then whether they sit there or whether they come back down a little bit remains to be seen. But you're not going to see a 6% interest rate go back to 3 You could wish for it. I hope it does. But it's not happening. I also don't think between now and the end of the year, you're going to see a 6% interest rate go to seven or eight. Um, but whether they get a, a, a firm handle on inflation, whether they get a firm handle on, on the creation of jobs uh, remains to be seen because you're just not really seeing it yet. I mean, you can spin it they all They keep you thinking want. it's going to damp it down and the consumer spending remains strong and uh, labor market hasn't uh, crashed like everybody thought it would. Right. So, so I think those are two big things that you'll have to watch. And then look, whether it's war, whether it's gas prices, whether it's uh, continued uh, struggles with getting uh, materials for construction, uh, those are all going to be factors that are going to play into it. I don't know that there's one thing that's going to drive the economy as a whole. I think some of these things feed to the next, and I think it's a combination of two or three things that will uh, sort of dictate where the market goes, whether that's up or down or just does nothing. Well, stay ahead. Stay tuned. Uh, choppy waters ahead. Uncertain times for sure. And uh sounds like you're with everybody else we're just not sure what's coming next it's cold out there and i'm not sure where it's headed so bundle up <laughs> uh keep your head down and and keep your uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on and we'll check back in a few months and do another recap and see if uh, any of what we've talked about makes any sense at that point all right take us out all right so again thanks for tuning in uh we've had a little recap on the market we'll be back next week with uh real guests real topics real time. I'm Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and managing partner of Barry Saywitz Properties. And thanks for tuning in to Let's Talk Real Estate. We'll see you here next time.
Well, there you have it. You've been listening to Let's Talk Real Estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in Southern California. On Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio.